Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Welcome to our podcast series, the transformational impact of data on your business. And today we have the episode, how to manage your data journey. And today I have the great pleasure with our next guest in our podcast is Ed Thompson. Ed, you're the CTO at Matillion. And maybe you can give a short introduction about yourself as well. Hi, yeah. Thanks, Ron. I'm the CTO of Matillion. Matillion is a data integration company. We were founded in 2011. My background originally is a consultant and my specialism was integration, essentially just making systems work together. And then when we founded Matillion, we had the same problems, but the, the problems were around data. So it was kind of natural that uh, I went towards doing data integration and we built Matillion originally as a as a business intelligence company and then latterly a data integration tool provider. And we have a data integration tool called Matillion ETL. Yes, and that's how the market matures as well. And this journey we're going to discuss today as well. And I'm Ronald van Loon. I will be the host today for this podcast. I'm the CEO and founder of Intelligent Worlds, which is a data analytics consultancy and research network firm. I'm also course advisor for a leading professional certification company called Simply Learn. And I'm the author of multiple coaching series for business leaders and C-level executives in how to succeed in the intelligent economy. And excited to get started, and especially in a time when companies are forced to digitally transform at light speed with this environment we're in right now and where data is the real foundation for this transformation. So what we see is that organizations and especially in early stages of the data analytic maturity they struggle often with poor data quality or with inconsistent processes or with poor coordination across their organization and we see as well that most organizations with a low bi maturity they don't have formal data governance program in in place at all and this low maturity organizations they often have bi platforms that are more traditional and more reporting centric they are embedded in their EP systems or they are simple disparate reporting tools that support these limited users and at based upon your years of experience can you describe a typical journey from the start all the way to data and to analytics maturity i would also like to understand how to define the data milestones along this path towards achieving this an analytic maturity Yeah, absolutely, Ron. So the way you kind of described it there is definitely spot on with what we see. So it doesn't matter really whether they're a new organization or an existing organization that's kind of evolving in the modern workplace and the modern world, but very few organizations start by thinking, we're going to build an organization where data is at the center and everything is about the data. Organizations start by trying to achieve some end and they take the necessary and sensible and pragmatic steps to get there so you know if you're a widget manufacturer and you have a product that you sell and that product starts to sell well and you need to create it and sell it you're going to start by building an erp system because that's the central piece of software that you need to run a business like that and as the business expands New silos and systems get bolted on, CRM systems, specialist systems that are developed. And 
of those silos of data inevitably start to spring up. Even in really small organizations that are growing, you see silos of data springing up and they start small and they grow exponentially with those organizations. And as organizations mature, the hunger and the need to make sense of all of that information that is collected becomes stronger and stronger because that is the truth about those businesses. And we see businesses coming to speak with us all stages of kind of that maturity from just having the silos in place and understanding they need to do something with that data locked up right through to people that have built serious, sophisticated infrastructure, which we'll no doubt get into. But the other thing, of course, that's relatively new is the ease with which silos of data have been created. And and for me, this starts with companies like Salesforce that really, I don't know if they pioneered it, but they certainly made it work very successfully, the kind of bottom-up sell where you start with a, a small sales team that just is frustrated by wanting to have a better CRM system and they can can start working with Salesforce very, very easily with a few dollars on a corporate credit card. And suddenly a new system has been created and a new silo of data has been created. And everybody that follows that model is, is creating data silos inside of organizations Either it's shadow IT or part of IT, decisions get made in different ways. But the result is the same. Lots and lots of data silos, lots and lots of useful truth about an organization, how an organization is performing, all of the sort of information that you really need to understand an organization properly, all spread out in different places with different levels of accessibility, different formats. And that's where the data integration problem comes from. And the maturity really of those organizations is how they got a handle on that and how they've dealt with that and then how they've really made that work for them and kind of gone beyond just solving the problem into solving the problem plus extracting a competitive advantage from that data. That's kind of an overview, Ronald. Do you want to dive into some of the specifics there? Yeah, we, we can dive in. I have, have quite some more ideas and, and questions for, for you during this podcast. But I think many companies and many people will recognize themselves in this story and see how it evolves step by step until a certain moment and say, hey, I want to extract real value out of this data and, and I can't anymore because of all these silos. I always like to collect some research as well. I have some statistics from Gartner research firm where they state by 2022 that 90% of the corporate strategies will be explicitly mentioned information as a critical enterprise assets and analytics as really essential competency. I think if we look to the current environment, there's main pressure on the speed of transformation and, and making this work. So I can imagine if this will not be 2022, but it will be even 2021 or maybe 2020. I think you have to solve it right now. And if we look to the environments you were talking already about this, there's a plethora of tools from data visualization, from ETL tools, from BI tools, but also CRM tools that start as some kind of silo. So what kind of tools do businesses really need to start a data journey? And 
how should companies address this evolution of all these tools as they progress in their analytics maturity yet? Great question. So definitely we see companies using a variety of tools. And I think there are various stages to the process. So you need kind of the right tool for the job at each stage. Step one really is knowing what data you've got and centralizing that data. And to do that, you really need three things. You need somewhere to centralize it to. And there are a lot of options out there, but by far the most prevalent is cloud data warehouses and data lakes. Maybe we can talk a little bit into that. Cloud data warehouses and data lakes feel like they're two big technologies that are merging to a certain extent. If you look at what Microsoft have done with their Synapse platform, where they've brought all their data lake and data warehouse technologies together into one platform. And we're seeing that in other places in the industry where there's overlapping technologies. Whether you want to call it a data warehouse or a data lake, it matters less now, but a central store for all of the data that they collect, which is a high performance. And you need some way of getting all of the different silos of data into there. And that's kind of the first realization that customers have. I've got my new data warehouse and now I need to get my data in. And there are what we kind of describe as extract and load tools that do that job really well of getting all that data in, keeping that data synchronized, keeping that data up to date. Once you kind of go beyond that stage, what we see customers realizing is I've got my data centralized, but what I've still got is a variety of different shapes and formats of data. And I really need to understand what I've got. And I really need to start to think about how I can turn what I've got into something that's actually usable, useful, or meaningful from an analytics point of view. And that's where the data catalog guys like Calibra and and so forth really come in because they apply all of that really useful metadata that describes the raw data and all of the things you need to know about it to make it useful. So data warehouse, data catalog tool, a way of getting the data in. And we see everything from people buying big, expensive tools of traditional vendors, right through to modern cloud-based tools, right through to people hand-coding it, people essentially rolling their own as they go. There's pros and cons right across the piece, as you can imagine. And then kind of at a sort of low level of maturity, as you sort of go from low to sort of medium level of maturity, customers are building uh, data warehouses from that raw data. So they're building sometimes traditional data warehouses with facts and dimensions, so sort of Kimball-style data warehouses. And sometimes they're doing much simpler, creating big, large, flat public data sets that they can share around their organization. And then that's where the visualization tools like Tableaus and the lookers of this world come in, providing great functionality to actually get at that organized data. But there's a critical step in turning the raw data that comes straight from the silos into the analytic ready data. And that's quite often the piece that people underestimate, the amount of just effort in turning the kind of the low quality raw data into the high quality analytic ready data. And there's a lot of effort and work that kind of goes into that in organizations. So you were talking about centralizing all your data. Some companies have 50, some have 100, some have even 1,000 
different sources, whether they should centralize the data in a data warehouse, in a data lake, or whether they leave the data in their silos and retrieve it when needed. Maybe you can give your view on that. And also would like to understand why then organizations need a data warehouse. And, and if you implement it, how can you, you start with implementing such a data warehouse? I've always definitely leaned to the school of thought that says to centralize the data. And I think there's probably two reasons for it. I think there are definitely tools out there which uh, try and go to the silos directly. And I think having tried to do it myself on many occasions, the pain always becomes too great. You're just relying on too many things working all of the time. And it also gives you less of an opportunity to blend the data, to combine sources, to take out any of the wrinkles or the inevitable sort of data quality problems that people have, to apply your own business logic and apply your own business rules. There's all kinds of stuff that you can do when data is being moved or synchronized from A to B. So firmly in the camp of centralize the data, modern cloud data warehouses, thinking about Snowflake, Redshift, Google BigQuery, Amazon Redshift, I should say. These systems have such a high level of maturity for doing that and such an incredible performance that grows with your data. So as more and more data is collected by the organization, more and more data is synchronized and processed in your data warehouse, you can still have fantastic query performance, the ability to generate meaningful dashboards, the ability to feed data into ML and AI systems, which we'll come on to as we get a bit further down the journey. But uh, just that whole end-to-end piece is going to perform better, work better, be able to react more quickly to the changing needs of the organization. And if we dive a little bit more into the data, we've been discussing the data all the time. So if we look at the organization, often you see your data isn't where it needs to be. You have still this poor quality. It can be inaccurate. You have insufficient data or it can be out-of-date information assets. So in this data-driven organization, this increases the risk of not deriving the right, um, the right conclusions. So if organizations start a data journey, what are the greatest challenges when it comes to, to data integration and, and what steps should these managers take to, to manage these type of risks? A lot of it comes down to some of the choices about the systems and the silos of data that exist and how they provide their data. And, and there's some really sort of well-beaten paths that have essentially a solved problems that have been solved pretty successfully. So for example, if you have a lot of on-premises relational data in the sort of traditional relational data, databases, the oracles, the uh, SQL servers, the MySQL, etc. There's a lot of options if, when it comes to kind of getting that into a data warehouse, doing it in an incremental or a streaming way, which is kind of the lightest touch in terms of the amount of data that's moved, and then starting to transform that data into a meaningful analytic-ready output. And then what we've seen, or the, certainly the change I've seen really in the last 10, 15 years, of course, is the explosion of APIs. And APIs tend to offer up semi-structured data, JSON data, nested data. So you end up with a less 
individual data records, but more complex data records. And then what a lot of people are trying to do is they're trying to blend data from those kinds of systems that's sort of coming in a semi-structured manner, and they're blending it with data that's coming from a more traditional, say, ERP system, which is lots of 2D traditional relational tables. And that's a real interesting challenge because you're essentially dealing with 3D data and 2D data, if you like. And usually for an analytics data set, simplicity is key because you want to be able to put it into the hands of people that can understand it and work with it and derive meaning from it. So usually you're you're denormalizing data, you're simplifying it. So there's some interesting challenges around how you do that with semi-structured data, how you blend that with traditional structured two-dimensional tables. And then I guess the other big change that I've seen has been the increase in the prominence of security and the way people are thinking about what data they bring in, how they bring it in. So when you bring data into a data warehouse and you're worried about, uh, for example, personal data and personal information coming into the data warehouse, say email addresses, phone numbers, credit cards, the best way to provide data throughout an organization but lots and lots of people in the organization are going to have access to and going to be able to use, but prevent kind of the dangerous data points, the personal information, the credit cards, all the sort of stuff that you wouldn't want to proliferate in a data warehouse. Really, you want to prevent that data at the point of loading data into the data warehouse. You want it, you want it almost to go nowhere near in the first place. And sometimes the strategy is just to exclude it, but quite often you'll want to anonymize it or hash it or all that sort of thing. So another kind of tool that kind of gets thrown into the mix quite often is data governance tools. So at the point that that data is moving into the data warehouse, apply the governance rules that are required for, say, GDPR or something like that. So talking about these data governance tools, this personal identifiable information, companies start asking questions themselves. So which internal databases have this type of personal identifiable information? Who has access to it? What's the quality of, of the source data? Who's responsible for the access management? And you were talking already about how to implement such a system, but can you explain a little bit more in detail how they should maintain such a data governance when dealing with all this large amount of data in the data warehouse? So the best data governance tools that are out there, I think they do a couple of things for you in this area. So first of all, they do a good job of implementing the standards that uh, you know large organizations, governments are producing. So if you take an, um, a GDPR is probably kind of the most talked about, probably quite a mature example of a set of rules. Aspects of GDPR can be turned into a set of rules that you can apply to data. So take something simple like an email address. If you email address is considered a personal information and you can identify an email address in a data set quite easily. And then it becomes more difficult with other things like phone numbers, social security numbers, phone numbers that are in a data set, but they're part of some, you know, some larger piece of text. So if you have a... Uh, if you have a, if you have a system like a help desk system where people are typing in free text and they're typing in phone numbers in the free text, that's where things start to become tricky. All of that is a great AI use case. So 
what you see with the best data governance vendors is they're applying AI to essentially solve for that problem and give you a score by looking at a data set and say, well, this, based on what's in this data set, based on the AI, AI algorithm that we've applied to it, we can say this is safe, unsafe, or somewhere in between. And that allows organizations to essentially quickly assess a data set, look at a threshold as to, you know, this is the data set that is safe to use across the organization and can have a certain level of security in a, in a data catalog or a data lake. And here's one that you really don't want this anywhere near your data warehouse. Yeah, which really release companies from from a real concern, which is this, this privacy part. You, you were talking in the beginning as well about cloud or on-premise. And if we look, I think cloud really supports the digital transformation and the, the data journeys by modernizing the IT infrastructure. And companies can easily scale their infrastructure if they are on the cloud and define their business priorities and reduce the pressure, especially from the IT resources. So how does cloud or, or hybrid cloud technology support this data journey? And what's your experience and where should companies make this move towards the cloud? Should they start with it? Should they move to a hybrid cloud? What should they do? Cloud has been nothing short of transformational in enabling and changing this industry. So in the pre-cloud world, there was definitely all of the things that we've talked about. People were building data warehouses. They were doing it on MPP database technology. They were doing ETL and data integration. They had silos of data. What the cloud's done is democratized and accelerated the whole process made it accessible to a greater variety of organizations and for large organizations is enabled them to go much, much further. So if you think about in the typical pre-cloud world, you might have something like a NetEaser or an Exadata of Teradata, something like that, sat at the center of the organization. But it would probably be a six-figure, you know, maybe a high six-figure dollar investment just for the hardware required to build an on-premise data warehouse. So that immediately excludes a whole load of companies, which means all of those companies are going to find it much more difficult to compete with data. And then inevitably, because it's a big, expensive IT investment, it's then cosseted and, and given sort of wraparound care and protection by the IT department, which inevitably means there's less opportunity for organizations, people inside of organizations, but line of business users to, to kind of experiment and get stuck in to doing innovative and interesting things with all of the data that sits inside the organization. So innovation is slow, change is expensive, and really what we see is a lot of work being done around the core needs of the business, but not much else. And then if you fast forward into the cloud world, suddenly the whole thing has been democratized because the technology, the power and the performance that you would have had in a traditional Teradata and a teaser box is suddenly accessible for cents on the dollar in a cloud economics way where you're paying per hour. You can scale up and scale down without large investments and large procurement cycles. The whole thing is just supercharged. This sort of kicks off a whole new breed of vendors doing everything from data integration to cataloging to 
governance to AI and ML, and it's all accessible for you know small initial upfront costs, allows you to grow and scale and see the value of what you're doing before you scale, and suddenly it's a much easier world. Smaller organizations can do more data. Organizations grow up that really only exist to deal with data. We have lots of organizations that we work with in the kind of MarTech space that are really collecting people's marketing data and then giving them value and insight out of that data. And there's lots and lots of companies that just exist to do that. So we see the whole range, but absolutely the move towards cloud has supercharged it. And there's no sign of, uh, of let up in that right now. Yeah, we've discussed many technology angles right now. One other angle we haven't discussed is the people. If you look to the people, they are still the ones who needs to drive the whole transformation. And I think business leaders, they should be the advocates for this digital transformation. If we look to the people, how should leaders create the culture, um, manage their teams, and also focus on the very scarce talent how should they do this and how should they create this data-hungry type of culture? There's lots of change happening here too. And one of the things that we're seeing is a gradual but pronounced change, the needs, desires, and capabilities of the workforce. We see new young millennial talent coming into the workforce who have grown up with data they understand that everything from their education process to early understanding of the internet all the way through they understand that it all generates data they understand everything's tracked and understood and captured and already started working with data sets so these people aren't just going into it roles they're going into line of business roles management roles and they understand how to and the need to compete with data right across the organization. And what that's driving, it's just no longer tenable to have data wrapped up in the fortress of the IT department and to tie that access down. You lose out too much on the innovation that can happen if you make it available and democratize it across an organization. So that's really driving the need for tools that these smart citizen data professionals that live in the line of business outside of the IT organization can use to compete with data. And that's really driving the success of companies like Tableau, Alteryx, Matillion, et cetera, where more and more people have access to the data more and more people can compete with it and be successful. That means that these tools need to provide an accessible experience. So it's no longer a data integration tool or a data governance tool aimed for a user with a computer science background that works in an IT department or a CI, uh, you know, uh, part of a CIO organization, which means tools need to provide kind of the necessary technological guardrails to allow their users to be successful, but they also have to be deep and sophisticated because these people want to do deep and sophisticated things with data, starting with complex data transformation and moving into 
being able to apply artificial intelligence models, ML models, et cetera. But actually, in the cloud world, because you can see not all of the work that's going on with data is going on in isolation. So, you know, old world, everybody's more or less solving the same problems, but they're doing it in isolation. So they're coming up with each and every organization comes up with its own solution. In the cloud world, people are solving the same problems, but there's visibility of, uh, oh, we can see how everyone's solving that problem. So once one person solved it, you can say, well, it looks like you're trying to solve the same problem. You have the same data sets. Have you thought about applying these kinds of transformations to get to the analytic output or the machine learning output that you're looking for? And that in itself then becomes a machine learning or AI problem. Uh, It's just a matter of understanding what's gone before and suggesting what can be done in the future. So you've got an opportunity there to provide the guardrails that the citizen data professional needs while still providing the sophistication and depth that they need to work with very large, very complex data sets. Ed, thanks a lot. I think you gave a very extended overview of a journey that companies go through from their data analytics challenges. Do you have one last tip for organizations, especially in this challenging time? What should they do right now with regards to the data journey, wherever they are? Should they speed up, slow down? What do you advise? Uh, (laughs) Good question. So for me, we see all the time that the organizations that are competing with data the best are ultimately going to be the most successful. So now is a time to kind of get your house in order. Everybody's at home doing DIY, right? Everybody's spring cleaning. And then in a business sense, now is a time to try and understand the data that you've got and really think about how you could use it to compete how you can use it to do business better. Because the more data that you can bring into any decision-making process or even allow the data to make the decisions for you, which is kind of like, that's getting towards the end of of the maturity journey. The most mature organizations are allowing the data to make some of the decisions inside the organization for them. On the simple end, how much stock to buy, how much based on history, but more sophisticated things about how we model a business, how we look at the business, how we react to changes in the market. So every organization should be competing with data. And now is a better time than any to understand how that data flows through the organization and put your organization in a better place to compete with that data. I can't agree more. Thanks a lot for sharing your whole experience from this this end-to-end journey that companies are in. For the listeners, thank you for attending again and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. And enjoy your day. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.